0: the unexplained to the mundane. Why don't you come join us on our journey to the fringe?
1: Welcome everybody to our third episode. Uh, We are still focusing on UFOs and a continuation from what we've been talking about. To begin with, we talked about the history of the modern day UFO. We moved into government response to uh, the modern day UFO. Now we're going to take a little bit more of a narrow look at this topic. We've been talking a lot about a man by the name of J. Allen Hynek who's been behind the scenes of a lot of what's going on here. Not not pulling the strings, just observing. He was involved in a lot of the government response. Um, As we talked about before he is a very notable academic on this topic and he at one point in time he proposed a scale to Uh, determine different categories of sightings and we've talked about it a few times it is a three level scale but the way we've talked about it is just focusing on those three levels but there are actually levels before this the three levels of sightings kick in so we're going to talk about this now just starting before even the close encounters of the first kind kick in these are all in all the six categories or six levels that were proposed by J. Allen Hynek. So first off, you have just nocturnal lights, lights in the sky at night that you can't explain. They're not close these in any way. These come before,
0: these come before. These come well at,
1: before anything. You just see a light encounters. in the sky. Those
0: encounters. Okay. Unexplained Next, or explained? Have,
1: I would assume that we're talking about unexplained nocturnal lights.
0: Unidentified, okay. Not a plane. Yes. <laughs> <Go> One. <laughs>
1: I'm glad we sorted that out.
0: <laughs> I wasn't sure I needed to classify okay. what kind of lights. There's a lot of lights out there.
1: There are. Next up, we have daylight disks. He uses the term disk here. It's UFO seen in the daytime, generally having discoidal or oval shapes. Not necessarily true. This is really common in the early onset of this phenomenon. A lot of people saying they saw disks. As it moves on, it actually turns into a lot more of cigar-shaped sightings. But you can see, honestly, any shape. It's more so just seeing something unidentified in the daylight sky uh, that has shape to it. The next level on here is a radar visual. And that's uh, one thing that does come up that's very interesting is there are a lot of sightings where it's either exclusively seen on uh, radar, where the navigator looking at the radar has asked for a visual on something on the radar and nobody can see anything or they do see it but in this situation it would be just ufo reports that have radar confirmation and uh, this is above the other two as they consider it more firm evidence than the other ones as you actually have some sort of instrument that's picking up this anomaly
0: i'm just curious if that might and maybe there's no answer for this maybe there is if it includes also having a visual but seeing nothing on the radar
1: that would be any of the other levels on here okay so if it's not registering on radar we're not talking about that okay but you can have uh, a mixture of those two or uh i don't know what you would consider a light scene at dusk that also registers on radar
0: it's a little ambiguous you big ambiguous you could fit some things in here yeah outside of the parameters
1: But this is all below. These are all kind of they're very soft sightings. There's nothing that can be looked into in these situations. So Mm -hmm. that's below close encounters of the first kind. So where we actually start to talk about the meaty cases that can be looked into that are investigated, that can actually be investigated to a point where you can say unidentified instead of insufficient data. And right off the bat, we've got Close Encounters of the First Kind. This is visual sightings of an unidentified flying object. Terminology has changed, but we're still in here for J. Allen Hynek. Seemingly less than 500 feet away. It shows an appreciable angular extension and considerable detail. So this is, you see something, it has shape, and it's somewhere around the range of 500 feet away or closer to you. Uh, There's no interaction necessarily, it's just fairly close, and you are at a point where you can actually give more detail than just, oh yeah, I saw a bright light.
0: Yeah, that is fairly close. That's freaky close.
1: Yeah, and like honestly, a lot of the cases where we've seen, and yours is actually that you're going to talk about a very fringe one that would be hitting Close Encounters of the First Kind, just because Mm -hmm. no one can actually say how close it gets at the closest point. And it is, it's not a hard measure either because 500 feet, if you're looking at something at night, very hard to measure.
0: True.
1: Nobody's pulling out that 500 foot measuring tape and just saying, can you wait there and just pushing it out.
0: (laughs) We've got it. I found (laughs) 499.
1: I tied a rock to my 500 foot rope and threw it. (laughs) Next up, we have Close Encounters of the Second Kind. These are UFO events in which a physical effect is alleged. This can be inferenced in the functioning of a vehicle or electronic device, animals reacting, physiological effects such as paralysis or heat and discomfort in the witness, or some physical trace like impressions in the ground, scorched or otherwise affected vegetation, or chemical trace. Honestly, uh, it could be at the same distance as the close encounter of the first kind. It's just there's more things to say other than I saw this.
0: Yeah, more, more evidence, more physical yeah. evidence.
1: Hell, I, I And this is kind of a, a bit of a fringe one, but if you could even hear it, I would assume that mm. would move it into that because that is a physical effect.
0: That is physical. Yeah.
1: And these range wildly from honestly, I heard something to I was telekinetically communicated with. That does fall into another topic if we're talking about the other proposed levels of encounters to, I felt, uh, or sorry, I got measures of radiation at the area. I suffered injuries, a lot of things. Um, I
0: think more often than not though, a sound people are not really reporting. Nobody really reports from a lot of these aircrafts. However, it would be a physical effect.
1: It would so that's that's close encounters of the second kind and close encounters of the third kind as made famous by the movie by steven spielberg are ufo encounters in which an animated entity is present these include humanoids robots and humans who seem to be occupants or pilots of a ufo there are cases out there for all three of those things humanoids vary wildly from what people are seeing going into and out of ufos there, these are the most interesting cases to read, but mm-hmm. they also seem the most outlandish, honestly. Mm-hmm. So, that was J. Allen Hynek proposes, I believe it was in the 60s. Uh, sorry, 72. He stated that this was, uh, what kind of scale he wanted to work off of. Uh, it does catch for the most part everything. And if you want to dig in deeper, I, I honestly think it's just a good starting point.
0: It is, I mean. These things go off in so many different directions. It could go off deeper. And I some other people have proposed other levels of close encounters. It's hard to obviously encompass everything because some stuff gets pretty weird out there with UFOs.
1: Yeah, and you run the risk of either over-categorizing, so it's hard to actually make yeah. connections between cases if you want to look into something too closely, or just having too big of categories and just completely missing out on certain things. Mm -hmm. So it, it is a fine line to work. And this is such a weird topic that it's hard to say whether or not that it is right or wrong, but that is the one that most, uh, ufologists do work off of, I believe still. Uh, I would have to check the MUFON uh, work to see if they've changed it at all. Probably good for a different episode. But um, what we're going to do from here is talk about uh, notable cases from Coast Encounters of the First Kind. I have a fun one to look at. This is one right out of Project Sign that we're just coming off of, and it's called the Child's Witted UFO Encounter. So let's set the stage. 2.45 a.m. on July 24th of 1948. There is a red-eye flight from Houston to Atlanta, Georgia, outside of one of the windows. Sorry, there are 20 passengers on this plane in the back, most of them sleeping at this point, because it is a red-eye ready for you to get up when you get off. Mm. Childs and Witted, and sorry, I don't have their first names right in front of me at the moment. They are both retired Air Force pilots. So they're used to seeing things in the sky and remaining calm under pressure. And what they see out of the corner of their eye is a bright object coming, I don't know the directions off the top of my head, but it's parallel to them, somewhere between 100 feet and 700 feet away. They estimated that this object was 100 feet long, 25 to 35 feet into diameter, and cigar shaped, torpedo shaped, uh, and it had a bright magnesium flare shooting behind it. Each of these pilots gave their own account of what it looked like. This is what Childs said. It was clear, there were no wings present, that it was powered by some jet or other type of power, shooting flame from the rear some 50 feet. There were two rows of windows, which indicated an upper and lower deck, and from inside these windows, a very bright light was glowing. Underneath the ship, there was a blue glow of light. He estimated that he had watched the ship for about 10 seconds before it flew up into another cl- cloud and just disappeared. And it was an upward trajectory that they describe. Witted gave this description. The object was cigar shaped and seemed to be about hundred feet in length. The fuselage appeared to be about three times the circumference of a B-29 fuselage. It had two rows of windows, an upper and a lower. Windows were very large and seemed square. They were white with lights, which seemed to be caused by some type of combustion. I asked Captain Childs what he had just seen, and he said that he had no idea. So they as soon as give these statements
0: guys... separately,
1: separate, yeah,
0: or together. Okay.
1: No, they gave them separate. It is a little hard to look into facts as I'm going to talk about in a little bit here. Um, mm-hmm. They also both gave a sketch of what they saw, both giving things that looked very similar to the old style of Zeppelin. But they're both cigar shaped. They're both shooting out com- something combustible behind them. They both really emphasize that there were windows.
0: It's funny because you wouldn't and, just see a Zeppelin like shoot straight up into the air.
1: Well, not straight up. It goes up and just disappears. But yeah, it's going far too fast for what something a Zeppelin you of a Zeppelin the time do. could do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, as soon as they landed, they decided to go to the nearest U.S. Air Force base and uh, report the sighting they'd seen. Hmm. This was looked into by Project Sign. Of the 20 passengers on board that plane, one of them was awake and said he did see a bright light outside that window. Now, where they were... and. You know, back in the day, those windows weren't as big. And um, honestly, you can't see as much as outside the uh, pilots' windows.
0: I'm just thinking of this guy like opening eyes and being like, that's weird, and going back to sleep.
1: Yeah. <laughs> also, the pilots they were say anything? over. What's that?
0: Did the pilots see anything?
1: These guys were the pilots. Well,
0: oh, they were the pilots of the plane. Yeah. yeah oh, I thought they were just military pilots as pilots. No, no
1: they, they were retired US Air Force personnel that became pilots.
0: Okay. Okay. I misunderstood. I'm glad I clarified.
1: Yeah. So they estimated where they were in the sky when they had seen this. And the rough estimate here was that they were somewhere around someplace called Macon or M-A-C-O-N, Georgia. That's actually really close to uh, Robins Air Force Base. So they went and asked people there mm-hmm. and there is at least one person Air Force crew chief who said that that night he saw an extremely bright light pass overhead at a high speed.
0: Also, it's corroborated with somebody.
1: It's corroborated on the ground with somebody else in the plane. And we have two retired Air Force pilots who are also actual pilots at the time stating that they saw this elongated cigar-shaped object. It's
0: a fairly detailed sighting of what they're looking at.
1: And this is actually from this time frame. The only case I've seen where people are saying they saw windows and um, it actually had like physical kind of almost airplane-like shape, which is interesting because mostly it's discs or cigars that you can't quite make out. From there, it's a lot of the original evidence was destroyed. As when Project Signs estimate was created, it was part of the estimate of the situation and it was ordered destroyed. Oh, so some of the evidence <laughs> survives, not all of it. J. Allen Heinick did give an official statement. He said he believed it to be a meteor. Notice how none of the people who actually saw it described it as a meteor. It was no. a light in the sky or it was specifically described as this very odd cigar shaped Uh, flying
0: it's a very very detailed they i mean pilots as we see in a lot of sightings that we've even talked about already are trained to kind of be able to identify aircraft that they're looking at and they do it very well these guys did it very well that's a very detailed and i'm just gonna
1: i'm sharing my screen with you just so that you can kind of see these pictures that they've drawn can you see this Mm. uh this one was drawn by chiles and that is
0: very Zeppelin like.
1: Yeah. Obviously, not as good a drawer yeah. here, but he emphasizes he saw two rows of windows, both of which were described. I by won't judge pilots. him for it. <laughs> it's pretty crazy that they. I wasn't expecting it to look object. like
0: that, but he did. Yeah. It's very similar.
1: And anybody looking to uh, see these, the Project Blue Book miniseries put on by History Channel, they have on their website this uh, sighting included, including the pictures that were drawn by both the pilots. So, Ruppelt, who we were talking about before, he really liked this case. He believed it was unexplained. J. Allen Hynek, he thought it was meteors, but this is also at a point in J. Allen Hynek's career where he is very much so a skeptic.
0: I was just going to say, I'm very surprised at that, given that there is even corroborating witnesses from the ground.
1: Yeah. And uh, the U.S. Air Force official explanation is that this was a meteor, but remember when we were talking about project sign uh, there was a big contingent of investigators who said that these were interplanetary objects that they were looking into this is (laughs) one of three cases that they really say are the reason why they pushed for a uh this is not easily explained answer
0: i was gonna ask where that falls into because i know they have a handful that they couldn't explain
1: yeah, there's there's kind of three main ones. There's the the child's witted UFO encounter. There's the Mantell incident, and Gorman dogfight. So those are the three that Project Sign really credits as why they decided to go with that answer. So that up. is the child's witted UFO encounter officially, just a meteor everybody saw, but there are disagreeing views on that.
0: I can imagine,
1: as there is with everything.
0: So I guess I'll move into mine. Mine loosely falls into close encounters of the first kind of being within 500 feet. There are some that I'm sure fall into being within 500 feet within this. So Phoenix Lights, March 13th, 1997. So this is not very long ago. So this falls into two separate sightings. It's anybody's guess if they're related or not. You can make your own guesses on that (laughs) or conclusions on that after I get through them. So this first sighting takes place on March 13th, 1997. So this one happens earlier in the afternoon between 6.55 and about 8.30 p.m. So this one has varying reports of sightings on this one. I do like to note, I can't bring reports of who was the first actual person citing or calling anything in on this, but it has been noted Kurt Russell talks openly on this one that he was one of the first reports on this he's a pilot at the time and he did make one of the first sightings reporting it into authorities so there's over 700 sightings uh, made to the national ufo network around 6 55 7 o'clock they start pouring in everywhere from one massive v-shaped aircraft all the way to individual aircrafts in a v-formation with five lights triangles, large crafts, all of them are moving slowly, making no noise and even seem to stop and hover and black out the stars above. So that's the first...
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. that part's pretty big. The fact that it blacks out the stars behind it indicates that it is a solid object. And it's not...
0: very large. And
1: very large in that between the lights is something. It's not just independent lights.
0: Uh, it's very funny because there are a lot of different interactions seem to be had by these all these different sightings. Um, so this starts in the north and it starts moving southeast towards Phoenix. So it happens in this time frame. second sighting takes place around 9 p.m. So this is where most of the sightings are coming from. Because of all the attention, this is stirred up of everybody telling everyone, what did I just see? Um, So everyone's outside looking in the sky. And this is the most witnessed one taking place 9 p.m. There is video of it. And this is a series of stationary lights over Phoenix. Air traffic controllers could see the lights in the sky, but they couldn't see it on the radar, which is what I made on the point of one of the even before the first sighting where they have a radar visual. So they don't have a radar visual on this one, but the radar operators can see the lights. There's a lot of witnesses to both events, including police officers and pilots, military. and The the mayor
1: saw that and he has interesting stories that come after this. I do
0: get into that, even though it's totally unrelated to the sightings. The military says that these are flares that were dropped. 9 p.m. sighting. They say that they were flares that were dropped and moved by the wind. However, the first one is completely unaccounted for by anything. The flares were dropped at a certain time. I believe it was at that exact time, 9 p.m., that people were witnessing that. However, it wasn't directly over Phoenix that they dropped. Yeah, it was in a different location
1: than where people were describing it. In fact, um, upwind from where they were describing it.
0: They did try to recreate it later. On the third anniversary of the Phoenix Lights, the National Guard dropped flares to try and recreate the event, and it did not coincide at all. It was it didn't as well as a, a JFK the
1: assassination thing. reenactment, is what you're saying. <laughs>
0: yeah. Did they try and reenact that?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. That doesn't go so well.
0: There's a lot, as we find, and... I don't want to get too crazy into this but there's a lot of not just discrediting but the tried and true tinfoil hat crazy ufo people kind of playing it up on here um so there was a councilwoman Frances barwood who simply asked about it so just, i digressed one second those were the sightings So oh, i'm just getting into the hearsay after so all there was in all a councilwoman- do you know how many
1: people reported seeing it
0: it was over 700. It, there's video footage of it to go along with this. Uh, it's really well documented. So, this councilwoman, Frances Barwood, simply asked about the an investigation and how there was not even one witness interviewed in these 700. So, that was met with colleagues handing out her business card saying things such as, speak into the tinfoil written on this. They were giving out her business cards. There were cartoons published mocking her. So then we get into Governor Fife Symington. Symington, who was actually a witness. But prior to him coming out as a witness, he came out, did a press conference because there is so much talk about this. A lot of Phoenix had witnessed this. Yeah. And he holds a press conference saying that he knew who was responsible and brings out someone dressed in a gray costume.
1: A very typical so, gray alien costume yes, with a nice very silver typical. cape.
0: Funny enough about Fife, he actually witnessed it and his office did inquire about this event to which they just never got a response. Quote is that he's a pilot. I know just, or I'm a pilot. Air Force I know pilot. just Yes. Well, his quote was, I'm a pilot. <laughs> and mm. I know just about every machine that flies. It was bigger than anything that I've ever seen. It remains a great mystery. Other people saw it. Responsible people. I don't know why people would really ridicule
1: it. As the He'd guy who ridiculed it. it.
0: <laughs> exactly. I mean, the, he said that as a quote to the Daily Courier in Prescott, Arizona. Really, Fife?
1: Yeah, I've um, I've seen him do a few interviews. His explanation was he was trying to calm everybody down because there was a really big buzz in town about what was going on. Yeah, uh, I mean, it is a response platform. Ufos too. Yeah.
0: So is not uh, and
1: uh, either calm people down or not. Yeah, yeah.
0: So there's actually nothing published about this other than the initial reports and pipe Symington coming out in his press press conference until three months later on June 18th, 1997. He actually published articles about it, and then yeah, so. That's my first encounter story. And then, yeah, like I said, they went back on the third anniversary of the Phoenix Lights to try to recreate the flare theory and they never could. There's a lot of theories on the Phoenix Lights. I think the most...
1: Honestly, it is probably the easiest sighting to find a YouTube video on.
0: It is. Yeah, it's probably... And it's tons of videos on. Including
1: um, actual videos of the uh, lights in the sky. So it's it's a very well-documented sighting.
0: Not just face Symington with this gray alien.
1: Despite it being so famous, I wouldn't say it's typically exciting. It's silent, very slow-moving lights passing over Phoenix, Arizona. I believe people are estimating it's going like 40 kilometers an hour in the sky or something like that
0: they do have and i didn't write it down in my notes they do have the estimates of how high up it was and it was fairly high up in the sky Mm -hmm. and they did do the measurements because pilots and they had some really credible witnesses with seeing it and they estimated the aircraft to be just gigantic
1: Mm. and um
0: but it's it's a good sighting um i just i've heard the phoenix lights so much that maybe i know uh... and
1: i I do want to add one thing that i did point out so fife was a uh air force pilot which i find important because he doesn't know what the hell it was and the official story is uh flares being dropped in a training exercise which was planned and all that as an air force pilot i feel like he would know what flares looked like in the sky And would at least know what's going on at the Air Force Base nearby. He
0: doesn't actually, true, he doesn't actually specifically address that. However, in the quote that I even read, and I chose that quote, he has quite a few different quotes out there on his sighting. But he does say, I know what I saw. This is not something that I've seen before. It's a great mystery. So obviously, as a military pilot, you would know.
1: Yeah, it's fairly clear If you saw one. You use flares to mark locations and also to light up the sky at night. They're fairly commonly used. And they usually just hover there for a long period of time. They can move with the wind, they generally don't. And, yeah, and will, I do believe most importantly, not keep formation because they're not attached in any way.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And will not form a ones... perfect
1: triangle too. Zoom through the sky, blocking out the lights behind it.
0: Exactly. Almost exactly.
1: But official <laughs> officially it was flares. And that's it.
0: Officially, the first sighting was flares.
1: Oh, I, oh, sorry. That happened on the first one. I can never remember which one that occurred on. Okay, not the second the second,
0: second one. one officially officially I ignored. say with quotations <laughs> was flares. The sorry, first, first one word. is really the first one is really the the one that The first one's the unknown?
1: Okay, the second one. And that's
0: why I say, I don't know, they don't say whether or not these two events are related. And they never kind of offer any sort of explanation. I really like that Kurt Kurt Russell witnessed the first wave.
1: Yeah, he was landing his personal aircraft at the Phoenix airport at the time.
0: Yeah, it goes between him and the first sighting also being a police officer. I choose Kurt Russell.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's a little more exciting. Less that yeah, police officer is also Kurt Russell.
0: It might be. Maybe he's an amateur police officer.
1: Maybe we're all just Kurt Russell. He
0: might be. I mean he's been in big trouble, little China.
1: Okay. And like those are person. our first encounters. There are many, many more. These are just icebreakers to give you a mm-hmm. bit of a a toe in the cold water to uh climatize yourself. Yeah, Feel free to look into more. Um, I would be happy to do a little overview of a lot more too. They're a lot of fun, but thank you for stopping by. Uh, We'll continue along on our journey to see the close encounters of the second kind next. Hey, thank you for listening to journey to the fringe. Uh, We are a new podcast and we would very much so appreciate if you could like, subscribe, Share and if possible, provide a five star review or some sort of feedback if you feel like there's anything we could be doing better. But five star review is the best thing you can do for us as it does help, unfortunately, in the world of algorithms. Yes, please,
0: and thank you. And you can follow us on social media at Journey to the Fringe. We don't have all of them, so try searching it. Instagram, we're on Facebook right now, we have a subreddit and if there's anything you want to hear in the future feedback anything you can email us at journey to the fringe at gmail.com if there's something we're missing uh, that you'd like to see us on please let us know We only know what we know. So we're only in so many places.
1: Also, if you feel that we have gotten anything wrong, please let us know there as well. As we would really like to have the best information possible. We are Mm -hmm. only as good as our research. And if you can provide anything further, it's a real help.
0: Or if you want to share anything, we will definitely, we're open to shares.
1: So yes, thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.